Happy holidays, folks. Welcome back to WrestleRant Radio here today for December 23rd, 2016. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, the go-home show of sorts before Christmas on Sunday. A mere 48 hours out from the big day, the WrestleMania of the holidays, so to speak. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, pretty newsworthy week leading into the into the holiday on Sunday. We had Roadblock on Sunday, or this Sunday, of course. We had Roadblock last Sunday. Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, you know the works, 205 Live, NXT. A lot of great wrestling, some not-so-great wrestling. We'll talk all about that in just a little bit. But in the meantime, my exclusive interview with the former Ring of Honor World Champion Adam Cole. We talked to Cole only mere days ahead of Final Battle the first Friday of the month, a couple weeks back here in December. Uh, we talked a lot about his upcoming match at that point, anyway, with Kyle O'Reilly that took place in the main event of the Final Battle pay-per-view. And you got to remember, going into that show, at the time that I talked to him, he was the... Ring of Honor World Champion. So hear from Adam Cole himself talking about his defense against Kyle O'Reilly, the man that he would ultimately lose that championship to at that pay-per-view on December 2nd, 2016. Hear him talk all about that ruthless rivalry dating back years, their final battle bout from last year's installment, yeah, trying out for WWE in 2013, why he ultimately stayed at the Ring of Honor and why it was better for his career in the long haul. Uh, joining the Bullet Club a few mere months ago and why he really revitalized his Ring of Honor career and his character, so to speak. Uh, playing heel versus babyface, becoming only one of three men to have hold to have held the Ring of Honor World Championship only twice, joining the elite company of Jay Briscoe and Austin Aries, and also the ever asked question. I put the uh, video up on Wrestle Rant Radio, the excerpts page on the YouTube page a couple weeks back, but Adam Cole answered the ever asked question: Are you potentially WWE bound? Now that again, I asked him that only a couple days ahead of the pay per view before he lost the championship, where I honestly thought he would win. He didn't. Kyle O'Reilly is the new Ring of Honor World Champion, and uh, after that, rumors ran rampant that Adam Cole's Ring of Honor contract does expire this upcoming April. So in only a couple months' time, we could see Adam Cole right where he belongs in WWE, but here are what he wants to accomplish first before going to WWE, where he does believe he will end up ultimately. Uh, hear what his other career goals are and with Ring of Honor and elsewhere. It's a, it's a great talk. You guys are going to enjoy Adam Cole as the fucking man. So then after that, we will talk about Roadblock, Raw, SmackDown, so on and so forth to close out the hour uh, here on WrestleRant Radio. But in the meantime and in between time, folks, enjoy my exclusive interview with Adam Cole, baby. Hey, good man. How are you? Doing good, doing good. So, of course, final battle coming up Friday in New York City, December 2nd. It's going to be a great show. Main eventing the show is you and Kyle O'Reilly for the Ring of Honor World yeah. Championship. So, the funny thing about this is that you've main evented final battle a few times before, and only a few other people can say that. So, although you're the current Ring of Honor World Champion, do you look at final battles kind of like your WrestleMania as your proving ground each year? Yeah, 100%. I, I'm so glad you said that, because, because certain events are like extremely obvious that they're the company's um, showcase or, or number one big event of the year. But Ring of Honor has always been a company that has so many big events throughout the year that some people kind of forget that Final Battle is our, our show. It, it's the one that we build everything towards, and, and it's the one that we uh, make sure we work a little bit extra hard. I mean, and this one's even more special. For multiple reasons, you know. Number one, it's we're returning to the Hammerstein Ballroom, where for a while that was a really, really big uh, area for Ring of Honor, where we really used to showcase and, and have a lot of our big events there. Uh, number two is the history with myself and Kyle O'Reilly. I, I mean, we we both got signed to Ring of Honor pretty much the exact same time in 2010. Um, we were we're a team for a while, and then we went on to do our own stuff singles wise. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So to be able to to say that I'm main eventing another final battle with a guy like Kyle O'Reilly is a really really cool full uh, full circle moment for me. But uh, yeah yeah the pressure you feel from final battle uh, the the proving ground that you create even for yourself you know the fans are jazzed up and ready to go but the pressure that you put on yourself is definitely there. I mean, you said it yourself, your feud with O'Reilly has been years as tag team partners. I mean, you guys have been rivals. I mean, you faced off at last year's show, too, so it's kind of cool to see it come full circle. Um, do you think that's a testament to Ring of Honor's abilities to tell long-term stories, as well as you guys as performers? Yeah, I think so. I, that's actually my favorite thing. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's no actually my, uh, my favorite thing about Ring of Honor, is the way they tell their stories and the way they develop their characters. I, I've always loved uh, whether it be a movie or a television show or anything like that, stuff that takes time to develop, stuff that uh, uh, people can invest in over time because there's little details you're able to tell and there's little intricacies of those stories 
that you can pick up on with more time. And Ring of Honor has always been a company that really, really invests in long-term storytelling with certain individuals. You know, I, I look at, like, my feud with Jay Briscoe. That, that built up to, to Final Battle in 2014, and that was a year-and-a-half build. So that, that was really cool and, and created a really cool atmosphere because the people knew how much time was invested into the Adam Cole-Jay Briscoe story. Uh, the same can be said for Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, only it's been six years in the making. So, so it's even cooler that uh, you know this matchup is happening, and it's a, and I think it's a big reason our fans really do get invested in our characters. It's different. It, it's not this. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of. It's not this this immediate, quick gratification of okay, these two guys have a conflict. Mm-hmm. Let's let's resolve this conflict immediately. In Ring of Honor, the conflict builds over time, and and, and people change. And, and their thought process changes, uh, and then they eventually end up, and they have this big finale, and that's what this is for me and Kyle. This is our big finale. It really is our final battle. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think we have a roster full of guys who are capable of doing that sort of thing, and then we certainly have a promotion that believes in that format and that direction of pro wrestling, and I really think it's what makes us stand out and what makes uh, uh, really cool, compelling storylines work for our way. And speaking of that match from last year, I remember watching it back and just remember thinking that because by that point, even of course a year later, but even at that point, you guys had been feuding and had been, you know, had history for years, and you guys immediately started going right at each other. No like headlocks, no like slow start. It's one of those ruthless rivalries. And to me, it's like the little stuff like that that kind of make the matches that much more intriguing and that much more meaningful and that much more real. Uh, so to you, is do you think the little things like that still make the biggest differences in today's wrestling? Absolutely. Like, for sure. Again, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, because those little details are what makes it stand out. I, I really think the reason that we're, we were able to uh, capture Philadelphia the way that we did was because of little nuances like that. Um, because, again, we have a roster full of, in my opinion, the best wrestlers in the world. So, of course, you're going to see a show full of great wrestling action. That you know that goes without saying when you go to a Ring of Honor show. But to, to really convince the audience, especially a company like Philadelphia, who has seen it all, that, that there are two guys in the ring who are really trying to tear each other apart. It's the little details. Like the, uh, the other one that kind of sticks up into my mind is there was a point where Kyle decided to slap me while I was on the ground, and I sat right up and spit in his face and flipped in the bird. And then he immediately put me in an arm bar in Philadelphia. It was like, oh, my God, these guys are trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's little stuff like that. of us. We, we knew that we couldn't go in there, and we couldn't have a, a traditional pro wrestling match. We needed to have a fight. And, uh, you know, I can assure you that, that in New York City, it's going to be the same song and dance for me and Kyle. Me and Kyle are way past the point of seeing who the better wrestler is. This is a personal animosity between the two of us. So anytime Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly... Uh, go toe-to-toe now. It's always a fight every single time. I mean, it was a blood feud even then, and quite a bit has changed since then. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly has kind of worked his way up the pecking order. You've already been a world champion before. You're world champion now. Um, but in that year, you were able to join the Bullet Club as the as, as the group's new leader earlier this year. So how do you think joining the Bullet Club... Um, I mean, I told you when I met you a couple months ago that you were a star. You're, yeah. you're a star even now, and you're a star then. But, I mean, even prior to joining the Bullet Club, you were already a solidified main event player. So do you think that joining the Bullet Club was kind of adding more mileage to your Ring of Honor character, career, and so on? Absolutely, of course. Like, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. When, when I joined uh, the Bullet Club, there was nothing I had done in my career that got more social media attention than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I will never, ever forget, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook uh, just blowing up. There, there was a lot of positive. There was a lot of negative. But, you know, a lot of people were talking. Um, you know, a lot of people had their opinions on it. I, I think it's safe to say that Bullet Club, especially now, is the most influential wrestling faction in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And you can even look... Uh, you know, at WWE, you can look at companies all over the world. Uh, everyone kind of has their hands in the pot of uh, a Bullet Club. So for me to get to join that group certainly gave me like an added dynamic of a new thing that I could do in Ring of Honor because I, I've been I've been really lucky and I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things in ROH. Uh, but but adding me into Bullet Club and adding me into that group. Again, like you had said, kind of gave my character a new dynamic. It, it gave me new things to play with. Now, I, I personally think the Adam Cole character 
uh, is best utilized in a group with other people. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely think that me as a singles guy is predominantly the, the, the way that um, things should go with my character. But at the same time, me having a group to, uh, to play off of or, or uh, get help from, per se, uh, it just really helps, uh, I think, develop that character even more. So getting to join that group certainly was one of the biggest things I've done in my career, kind of started my career for me over in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which has been awesome. Uh, and again, it, it just gave me more conflict and more things to do in ROH. And, and then the other cool thing, too, because a lot of people ask, like, um, you know, why why I thought that I was a fit for Bullet Club. And I think the, the biggest thing for sure is, number one, I'm, I'm really close personal friends with all those guys. Uh, you know, we have been talking about me joining Bullet Club for, for quite some time. So finally getting to do it and a spot opening up was great. And then two, I, I think the reason Bullet Club has been able to stay so relevant and so hot is because they're always so good about who they choose to involve in their group. And they always pick, like, uh, you know, young, upstart, popular guys who are really trying to make an impact or really trying to take their career to that next level. And, and really, anyone who has joined the group, it, it, they have benefited from it. Anyone who's been involved in Bullet Club, they've benefited from it. And I, I can certainly say the same for myself. I, like, my career has moved forward since joining this group. I mean, like you said, I mean, that night that you joined the club, the Bullet Club, rather, it was a huge moment. Social media went nuts. And the only thing that that came close to matching that same that that same buzz this year for Ring of Honor, in my opinion, was when you recaptured the Ring of Honor World Championship only a couple months afterwards. And the biggest part about that was that not only was did you join an elite group of Austin Aries and Jay Briscoe of having held the championship twice, but you also ended the 400 and some odd day uh, reign of Jay yeah. Lethal after a year and a half. So it was a huge moment. So, I mean, a lot has changed. I mean, you held the belt before, as I said, as I alluded to many years ago. What would you say are the biggest differences between your first run as champion many years ago and now? Do you feel like a bigger sense of responsibility this time around? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think for me, the biggest difference actually is um, when I first won the Ring of Honor World Championship, I was a kid. I, I mean, I was 23 years old. Um, and just to be quite frank and quite honest with you, I was scared to death. I mean, I, I was I was working with all these guys who I admired and looked up to. I still do. I still admire and look up to all these guys. But I really hadn't had too much main event, give you the ball, you're leading the charge pressure before in my career. So, I, I mean, I remember winning the championship for the first time in Philadelphia and, and feeling I, I can't even describe the emotion. I, I had so many different feelings going through my body, but I remember the, the positive feeling of happiness and relief and um, uh, satisfaction was very short-lived because then the realization of, wow, okay, I have to actually follow through with this and do this, um, and the pressure that I put on myself was just insane. Uh, I mean, it's what we live for and it's what we do, but I remember being... Um, just, just really, really feeling that pressure. So after that entire title run where I got used to main eventing pay-per-views and, and main eventing Ring of Honor shows, uh, that really helped me develop not just as, as a wrestler, but as a man too, just, just getting used to that pressure and getting used to dealing uh, with the pressure that you put on yourself. So then to lose the championship and win it back, that pressure is still there. It's 100% there. It's, it, all, all Ring of Honor wrestlers, put that pressure on themselves, especially when they're given a chance to be the world champion. But I, I definitely have a, a more relaxed, comfortable, um, almost stop and smell the roses kind of feeling. Cause, cause I've been down this road before, uh, you know, winning the championship in Vegas, I got to look out and my family was in the audience. And I remember that, that entire day, uh, or that entire night, uh, actually, I, I got to really sit back and kind of enjoy that moment, relish in that moment, and uh, being able to have Bullet Club with me adds a whole new dynamic to this entire title run. So, yeah, I, I guess pretty much to get to the point that I, I really do feel a lot more comfortable uh, in this championship reign because I've been down this road before and, I, and I'm really just trying to enjoy it as much as possible while, of course, you know, <laughs> keeping the pressure on myself. But, yeah, yeah, really just enjoying it this time. I mean, it's really night and day. I mean, that was only three years ago, late 2013, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, it's really, I mean, so much has changed. You would think it's been five, 10 years, and you're only 27 years old now compared to when you first right. won the championship at 23. And you can help me out with the timeline here, but I believe it was right around that time, late 2013, that you also had a tryout for WWE as well. And it was also around yeah. that time that NXT really, of course, obviously, wasn't what, wasn't what it is today. Um, I know they had also former Ring of Honor stars. They had Eddie Edwards, Davey Richards over there. That kind of fell out of place at that time because now you look at the roster and almost half the guys there, Samoa Joe, Austin Aries, and you know, Roderick Strong, are former Ring of Honor guys. Um, so, of course, do you think, in your opinion, my question for you is, do you think that, of course, coming over to Ring of Honor or staying with Ring of Honor instead, as opposed to going to WWE at that time, was the right, that was the best decision for you to grow as a performer? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I remember I got the exact timeline for you. It, it was I, I was Ring of Honor television champion mm-hmm. in early 2013. And I went down to do this WWE trial. And, and at that point in time, again, I, I had kind of that that young, I don't want to say immature, but maybe a little bit, that kind of that mentality of, um, okay, I have this WWE tryout. I, I need to I need to make it. I, like, I need to get signed by WWE. That was kind of my mentality. I, I loved, always have loved wrestling for Ring of Honor. But, but my goal was, okay, I, I really want to nail this trial and I really want to do it. And the trial went really, really well uh, to the point where I actually thought I was leaving. Uh, and then there were just circumstances kind of on both ends where it was maybe it'd be better for me to kind of continue my path of where I was going uh, uh, now. And uh, for me to be able to say that I stayed, won the Pro Wrestling Guerrilla World Championship, became a two-time Ring of Honor World Champion, it actually developed this Adam Cole character. And in early 2013, I was just getting my feet wet with, with being a heel and being a villain in ROH. I, mm-hmm. I was experimenting with it, uh, getting to wrestle over in New Japan Pro Wrestling and just kind of building this brand up and, and figuring out, again, who I am and what I feel that I bring to the table. That was all developed after that WWE tryout. So I am I am so thankful and so glad that I decided to go the route of, of uh, developing this character and growing with Ring of Honor. You know, Ring of Honor is a company that I'm really, really proud to be a part of. And to see where this company has gone and where it's developed, and to be able to say that I've been one of the guys at the front lines in that is, is pretty cool. And, it, and it's something I'm, I'm, def- I'm definitely grateful for. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely glad that I, I ended up staying and developing and maturing and growing as a performer because I, I feel like the wrestler that I am now, as opposed to the wrestler I was in, in 2013 were just two completely different different wrestlers so uh definitely a benefit for me and i I wouldn't change uh my direction or my path for anything and i've been watching ring of honor regularly for a few years now and to me i had yet to go to a ring of honor show up until all-star extravaganza a few months ago in the massachusetts area and i by that point when they announced the show was coming to that area i said i need to go because like i said there's so many guys right now in nxt that are ring of honor based from joe to aries to strong and it's almost like Ring of Honor, I, I honestly don't feel like this gets enough credit, the company gets enough credit, for developing the talent of tomorrow, not only for the future of the company itself, as you know, such as yourself, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, all these other guys, Silas Young also rising up in the ranks, but you also got guys that are going off into WWE and becoming big stars or just as big enough stars in Ring of Honor. So do you think Ring of Honor doesn't get the credit it deserves? And I don't want to say stepping stone, but really kind of giving birth uh, you know, to these stars in WWE. Because, I mean... For as much talk as there is for them creating their own stars, they're kind of borrowing a lot of guys from you know from the Ring of Honor pool. So, what are your thoughts on that? Right, of course, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually think Ring of Honor has has been creating this level of wrestler pretty much since the company started in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Like, like for a lot of hardcore wrestling fans, for anyone who's watched Ring of Honor from the gate, they knew when they were watching a Ring of Honor show or a Ring of Honor event. They were watching a different level of pro wrestler from, from what they had seen. Uh, to me, you know, a lot of people compare it to, uh, you know, Japanese style pro wrestling with a little American twist, and I, I do think that's a good comparison. Um, but yeah, but pretty much to me, I, I think uh, when 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 Brian Danielson and CM Punk ended up getting signed and they were given a shot because their their buzz on the independence, specifically in Ring of Honor, was so strong. Uh, to me, that changed the entire perception of what a casual fan looks for in a pro wrestler. Because I, I remember how over those guys got with fans. Mm-hmm. And it was not just the internet fans. It was everybody. It was kids. It was 
families. It was people who've been watching wrestling for years. They absolutely loved these guys. And then I think a company like WWE recognized that there there is a market, and and uh, the audience really wants to see a new style of pro wrestling. So since then. As Ring of Honor's continued to, to demand the best wrestlers and, and, and get the best wrestlers in the world in their company, uh, WWE has kind of followed suit, and, and they've decided to take these guys with independent credibility or, or worldwide credibility and, and put them on a bigger stage because pretty much every single guy who's been taken from that system has succeeded, mm-hmm. has, has excelled uh, in WWE. So I, I totally think that WWE recognizes that wrestling is going in a different direction. I think the internet exploding the way that it has plays a huge part in all of that. Um, because, it, you know, it used to be, I used to hear this all the time, like, oh, there's a big difference between the internet wrestling fan and the wrestling fan that just comes to the show to watch the shows. Mm-hmm. Well, now everybody has the internet. Mm-hmm. So it's like everyone's an internet wrestling fan, kind of. So yeah. Yeah. anyone can get on their phone and check out anyone they want to check out. So... I think it's really cool uh, the direction that wrestling has gone. It's forced all the wrestlers too to step up their game. Like I look at WWE's roster and uh, you know TNA's roster, Lucha Underground's roster, our roster, independents all over the country, and stuff overseas. I mean, we could go on and on. And the shows are stacked, and the shows are great. Like there's almost too much good wrestling going on right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. You know, there's just good wrestling everywhere you turn. So. Um, I, I think Ring of Honor absolutely has played a huge part in that, both with its growth, both with guys from Ring of Honor going on to WWE and those casual fans uh, uh, getting to see these guys. And again, their expectation of what they want from a pro wrestler has grown. So I think Ring of Honor uh, definitely, in, in some cases, gets the credit and in some cases deserves more credit. So, But in, in turn, it's created a, a mainstream and independent uh, resurgence of, of just really, really great pro wrestling across the board. And at only 27 years old, it's really incredible to think about everything you've already accomplished thus far in your career. I mean, there's so many guys who get to that point in their career and are only just starting, but you've won titles in PWG, Ring of Honor, now a two-time Ring of Honor world champion, as I said before, only one of three people that can say that. Um, it, it's really incredible to think about. You feed with a lot of people, a lot of great matches. Do you still think that down the road you do have those aspirations of going to WWE once you feel that you've accomplished and helped contribute all that you can to Ring of Honor? Yeah, I do. You know, I, and I think you know, asking straight up, I, I do think eventually that that is something I would like to do. I, I think I think to say as a wrestler, if you don't want to have a WrestleMania moment someday. I think you're kidding yourself. I mean, I know everyone's different, but, I, you know, at least for me, for, for me personally, I definitely want that someday. Um, but, but the thing is, as far as right now, and this is something I've always focused on pretty much since I was in my early 20s, is instead of focusing so much on where I would like to go and where I would like to end up, I always focus on what I have right in front of me. So, you know, I get asked this question all the time, like, when are you going to make the jump? Uh, you know, to WWE. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I, I don't even really think about it. I, the reason I don't think about it is because, like you had said, I'm, I'm the current two-time Ring of Honor world champion. I, I just started my career in New Japan Pro Wrestling. There is a lot left for me to do. There really is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'd like to accomplish. There's a lot of things that I see uh, with Ring of Honor and our growth and, and loving being a part of that. New Japan Pro Wrestling is this whole new area that, that I, I haven't even, um, you know, uh, tipped the iceberg yet of, of the things I'd like to do there. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm definitely really focused on what I got in front of me right now, and that's that's continuing to move forward and push Ring of Honor to new heights that we've never seen before. I want to I try to become a star over in New Japan. I, I really, really, really want to do well over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but of course, certainly, when, when people ask, like, do you, do you ever think about uh, maybe eventually going to WWE? And I think absolutely. I, I think eventually um, uh, sometime when, when the time is right, because timing is so, so, so important in pro wrestling. That's one thing that you can't really put a finger on and, and you can't train yourself to do, but you just feel it. And when I feel that the time is right, and if WWE feels that the time is right, uh, that's certainly something I would consider and, and definitely not shut out. And speaking of the present, of the right now, going back to final battle this upcoming Friday, December 2nd, you and Kyle O'Reilly, are there any other guys on the current roster, maybe even over in New Japan as well, as you as you mentioned, 
Are there any guys in the current roster, specifically in Ring of Honor, that you see kind of getting up to that main event level at some point, kind of fulfilling their full potential as a main event level guy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there are definitely a handful of guys uh, from Ring of Honor. we got a really, really talented young group of guys. Uh, two guys who Ring of Honor just signed uh, in, in Will Ospreay and Marty Scroll. Marty Scrolls are current uh, Ring of Honor television champion. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these guys came in over for these UK shows and just they did what all of us already knew if they were fans of these guys before and they just absolutely um, had compelling, exciting, awesome pro wrestling matches. So I think these guys are really going to make an impact and, and certainly you could see them in the in the main event scene. You know, we got guys like Donovan Dijak and Leo Rush, uh, two young guys who, who are really, really impressing, especially Leo Rush. Is, is 22 years old. He's been wrestling a year and a half. The skill and the talent and the timing and the presence that that guy has for being so inexperienced, like, blows my mind. It makes me think he's older than he is and he's lying about <laughs> about <laughs> only having wrestled for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. He's so, so good. Uh, I'm glad that you brought up Silas Young as well. He's another guy um, who, who I had a Ring of Honor title defense against in Florida. We wrestled for a half hour. Silas is 100% ready for, for that main event spot. Um, he has a great connection with our audience, and he's just one of those guys that can really have a compelling, exciting pro wrestling match with anybody. So I, I think the future is certainly bright for Ring of Honor, and uh, you know we're, we're always looking for new talent as well to scoop up and take in. So uh, yeah, the direction this company is going with the roster that we have, uh, I think the best is just getting started for sure. And final question for you, as I said earlier, as we discussed earlier, the final battle bout with Kyle O'Reilly from last year was just an all-out brawl, a blood feud, and that wasn't even over the world championship. This year, it's the main event. It's a whole other story. Quite a bit has changed. You put him on the shelf a couple months ago. So much more is at stake now than there was even 365 days ago. What can fans expect from the upcoming match between you and O'Reilly. I mean, like you said earlier, the flip in the bird into the armbar spot was excellent. I mean, no spoilers, obviously, but what type of match can fans expect from you guys this coming Friday? Yeah, well, again, I'm glad you brought up last year's match because as physical and as violent as that match was, like you had said, the Ring of Honor World Championship was not at stake. And since then, we've had 365 days to, to um, you know, create even more hatred with this with the story between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Um, and a lot of people may know this, but in the Hammerstein Ballroom, that's the exact location where me and Kyle O'Reilly went from being, um, you know, mid-card Ring of Honor guys to main event guys. Kyle bloodied my face, and, uh, like, overnight we both became stars, and that kind of pushed our careers uh, uh, it, you know, skyward for, for us. So mm-hmm. uh, this match is, is definitely going to be violent. It, it's definitely going to be physical. Um, something that's six years in the making for a championship as prestigious and important as the Ring of Honor championship, you can't have it any other way. Uh, so the entire roster is beyond excited uh, to be back in the Hammerstein Ballroom. Myself and Kyle O'Reilly cannot wait to tear into each other. Uh, live on pay-per-view at our biggest show of the year in front of those New York City fans. So uh, it's not going to be like anything you've ever seen before. Uh, It's definitely going to be the most epic chapter of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. And if you can't make it to Hammerstein in New York City, you've got to check it out on pay-per-view because I can promise you it's going to be a very, very special match. I mean, the pay-per-view is going to be worth watching for that alone. You got Jay Lethal and Cody Rhodes on there, too. You got the Briscoes and the Young Bucks to the World Tag Team titles. You got Silas Young, as you mentioned, versus Chushin Thunder Liger as well, making a special yeah. appearance. So the whole show is going to be great. As you said, it's it's the show of shows for Ring of Honor. Final battle this Friday, Hammerstein Ballroom, New York City, December 2nd. It's going to be awesome. Well, Adam, once again, as you said earlier, great meeting you a couple months ago. Great talking to you, and good luck on Friday, man. Hey, man, yeah, yeah, great talking to you uh, once again. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. No problem. Catch you down the road. All right, sounds good. Once again, a big thanks to Adam Cole for joining me here on WrestleRant Radio for that awesome, exclusive interview. As I said, at the start of the show, he is the fucking man. He is the future of pro wrestling, whether he stays with the Ring of Honor, goes to WWE, which I think he will, ultimately, whether it be this year, next year, whatever. When I say this year, I mean 2017, or the year after that, or the year after that. He will be WWE-bound. 
eventually. I can almost guarantee you of that. Um, but he's a star. He's a star. I told him that right on the phone. I told him that when I met him a couple months back. At All-Star Extravaganza, is still one of the best wrestling pay-per-views that I've seen or even been to all year presented by Ring of Honor. Their All-Star Extravaganza 8 event, I believe it was. 8 or 9. I think it was 8. Um, back on September 30th of 2016. And what a year it has been for Ring of Honor, WWE, even TNA, uh, NXT. And speaking of which, next week is the big final episode, the final show of 2016 here on WrestleRant Radio. December 30th is our final show. So check back here next week where we will run down the results of the 2016 WWE slash NXT year in review awards, talking about the match of the year. The Wrestler of the Year. The WWE Network Special of the Year. And of course, I put that up. The, the polls opened before Roadblock, but Roadblock would not make the polls anyways. So trust me, we didn't miss anything. Maybe TLC, but certainly not Roadblock. Women's Wrestler of the Year. Tag Team of the Year. All that great stuff. We're talking all about it. And you guys voted. I have nothing to do with it. I have not voted. I'm just reading the results right here next week on the show. So be sure to vote. If you haven't done so already, check out nextarwrestling.net. And go to Week in Review, the drop-down menu. Click on Year in Review Awards. Vote in every category. It's going to take you all of two minutes if, you, if you're quick and you know what you want to choose. Uh, there's only six categories. There's only six choices for each category, so it should not take you very long whatsoever. There's ten categories. It's a lot of fun to vote, so be sure to do so at your convenience in one week's time. We will talk about the results right here on the show. Hopefully with a special guest and it won't be just me flying solo, but we will soon see. But in the meantime, guys, Roadblock this past week, we had it back on Sunday, December 18th, on the five-year anniversary, and I mentioned this on Twitter, the five-year anniversary of one of my favorite pay-per-views as a fan, TLC 2011. And then I love the year of 2011, as you guys, as many of you guys know from listening to my reviews, the show, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Love that year. That's a great pay-per-view. And TLC, speaking of which, was far better than Roadblock on Sunday. This year's installment of TLC was way better than Roadblock on Sunday. I think that kind of goes without saying. And once again, for the third consecutive time, SmackDown wins the month, as they did with Backlash, as they did with No Mercy, and once again with TLC. Roadblock was just no competition. It was complete no contest between the two shows. The blue brand continues to kill, and I'll talk all about SmackDown towards the end. But for now, um, I don't want to go too in-depth. We only have about a half hour, a little bit less than that. It's the holiday show after all. I don't want to spend too much time talking about stuff I didn't really enjoy that much and kind of emphasize the good. So I'll talk about more, more about SmackDown a little bit later on. But Roadblock, in a nutshell, just not a great show. Was it the worst pay-per-view of the year? I don't know if I would go that far, um, but certainly far from a, from a great show. Um, it did have its moments. That's why I don't want to say it was the worst show of the year. Like, there were certain parts of the show I might watch back, like the Iron Woman match between Sasha Banks and Charlotte, the 30-minute Iron Man match for the Raw Women's Championship. Kind of a dull match for the most part up until the overtime, which I thought was great. The finish I could have done without, without with, with Sasha losing the championship again, which I'll talk about in a moment, but that was a great match. Definitely the best match all week, and there was some there was some competition, but certainly the best match all of, all, you know, of all this past week. We had a, uh, a a great tag team title match that saw new tag team champions crowned in Cesaro and Sheamus, which was long overdue. And Cesaro and Sheamus, I've always loved Cesaro, obviously. Sheamus, maybe not so much. Um, I enjoyed it when he turned heel about a year and a half ago, and then he just kind of fell off the face of the earth due to bad booking, and his title reign was completely abysmal um, late last year. So thank God they took the title off of when they did. But he's pretty much been floundering ever since then. But yeah, I like the, the the tag team of Cesaro and Sheamus. They've really grown on me. They work very well together when they're not bickering, that is. And we do we did get a new set of tag team titles on Monday night. The same penny looking fucking belts, but we do have the uh red leather, I think, for the for the championship now, and I hope they do not I hope to God they do not change the WWE title uh, on the SmackDown brand from the black leather to the blue leather. That it might look good, who knows, but I just think it might look goofy. So I think I would just leave it the way it is. But uh, for the Raw Tag Team titles, whatever, they look less like pennies now than they did before, but still, I would I yearn for the days of the old Tag Team titles. These Tag Team Championships just do not look good. But anyway, um, yeah, so yeah, I thought that Tag Team title match was great. Cesaro and Sheamus, I'm a big fan of them taking the titles. You knew it was only a matter of time before New Day's, you know, days, so to speak, no pun intended, as Tag Team Champions were numbered, and they had to be, they had, their reign had to end at some point sooner rather than later, and thank God they dropped the the belts on Sunday, and we have new champs in Cesaro and Sheamus, so I was a big fan of that match kicking off the show, 
And that was about it. I mean, I enjoyed Neville's return, um, which was great. If you told me a week ago that Neville would be the most talked about superstar coming out of this past week, I would have called you crazy, but he is. From his heel turn on Sunday to, I thought, a very good promo he cut on Monday to a win on Tuesday night's 205 Live in the main event over TJ Perkins and Rich Swan alongside the Brian Kendrick. He had a great week. The, you know, Neville, the man that created forgot for many, many months, um, made his return in a big way on Sunday night, so I could not be a bigger fan of Neville coming back in the fashion he did. And I think with the Cruiserweight division, it's starting, you know, slowly starting to show signs of what it could be and fulfilling its full potential. And 205 Live is a big help, I think, in helping these guys develop their own characters, develop feuds. Not everybody has the network. Not everybody certainly does not watch 205 Live. Uh, but the people who do watch and know that it's pretty good and it's successful pretty much more often than not in developing new feuds, new characters, and stuff like that. I thought this week's episode was quite good, actually. So uh, I know people sat in their hands for the Cruiserweight Championship match on Sunday. That w- they were kind of dead for the most part, which surprised me considering they were in Pittsburgh. But um, you could hear a fucking pin drop in that arena during the Rich Swan, TJ Perkins, Brian Kendrick triple threat match, which is a shame. I mean, it was an all right match, but I absolutely remember nothing from it just because it was a five minute, not a snore fest. Again, these guys work well together and they've had a decent feud going. But so far, I mean, WWE really was weak coming out of the gate, weak out of the gate for the Cruiserweights. So it's going to take some time to rebuild this division back up into something that people can care about. So I hope they can in the weeks and months ahead, just because these guys are really, really talented and don't deserve the reactions or lack thereof that they have not been getting in the last um, couple of months, weeks, whatever. But that was an all right match. But yeah, with Neville though, him making his return when he did, how he did, I thought was great. He just came right down to the ring. It looked like he was going to congratulate Rich Swan on his Cruiserweight Championship victory and fucked and smacked the shit out of him with an elbow right after the match and laid waste to both Rich Swan and TJ Perkins. So I thought they, you know, really making a, a huge impact right out of the gate and becoming the new king of the cruiserweights, as he called himself on Raw. And uh, I thought, again, I thought he cut a pretty good promo on Raw. It might have been bad from like standard promo, you know, from uh, pr- from like promo standards for most people. But for Neville, I thought it was pretty damn good for a guy that is not known for his mic skills. I thought it was a damn good promo. Uh, probably the greatest promo of his entire career <laughs> since coming to the main roster. And again, this is probably the most interest that I've been in the Neville character since he came up almost two years ago. And in those two years, it's really just wasted time. Through almost all of 2015, they had a decent thing going with him and Barrett, but that feud died to death. They had a decent thing going with him and Stardust, but that thing died to death too. Because they had a million fucking matches. They tried to put him with Miz in a brief feud. That went nowhere. He went on to do nothing of the early onset of 27 or 2016, rather. It looked like he would have been involved in the IC Championship match at WrestleMania, but then he got hurt. He was gone for four months, came back, and was pretty much left off Raw. And at this point in time, we had the fucking brand split. So why is he not on the show? I thought it was just ridiculous. Um, so to have him be back and in the Cruiserweights as a heel is even more exciting than him being back as a babyface, as the lead babyface in the division. We already have Perkins. We already have Rich Swan, and We have Cedric Alexander. Neville was needed on the heel side. So you throw that in there, Austin Aries too, when he eventually gets cleared from injury, which should hopefully be in the next couple months. I think he got injured in early November with the eye injury. He should be out through WrestleMania season, which sucks. But it would be great if he got cleared before Mania and was involved in like a cruiserweight open. Remember those? They used to do those on the SmackDown side of things many years ago on the SmackDown brand, like in the early 2000s. Those, those were fun. Those were fun. So I would bring maybe that match back in time for WrestleMania. That'd be pretty cool. But uh, yeah, from Aries to Neville to 205 Live to Jerry coming back pretty soon, you got a pretty good lineup of guys, and you throw in the other talent we already have, TJ Perkins, Rich Swan, V. Brian Kendrick, you have Lince Dorado, Cedric Alexander, Mustafa Ali, uh, Drew Gulak, Tony Nice. there's a lot of great guys in that division, Jack Gallagher, I'm a big fan of, that guy's fucking awesome, so I think the Cruiserweight champion, the well, the championship too, but the division itself can be salvaged with all these things they've been gradually doing. You can't just, it's not going to fix itself overnight. It's not like that going to fix itself with just one addition to the roster, to the Cruiserweight roster, the roster, the division itself will not feel ultimately meaningful. It's going to take time. So I like the way they did that with Neville on Sunday and look forward to seeing what he does in the future going forward. Um, but yeah, other than that, Roadblock was really nothing to write home about. Sami Zayn and Braun Strowman with the 
10-minute time limit I thought was just completely forgettable. The match was whatever. They wasted far too much time on the outside with uh, Mick Foley talking to Braun Strowman, talking to Sami Zayn, saying why he shouldn't give up for, like, literally three fucking minutes, wasting three minutes. And by that point, you knew Sami was winning or surviving, whatever. You, you knew he wasn't going to win. Um, but he survived, and even though he did not technically defeat Strowman by pinfall or submission or even counter or DQ, he was declared the winner, which was I thought was a mistake. It should have been deemed a draw because Sami did not technically win, so I thought that was a bit dumb. Um, but the angle was whatever. I mean, it did give us angry Braun Strowman on Monday, which I thought was pretty great. He was a star of the show on Monday, destroying pretty much everyone and everything in sight, including the Christmas trees, which made him a heel in my eyes at the top of the stage, just completely decimating Sin Cara. Um, I thought look, it was a great visual. It might not hurt. I mean, those boxes aren't filled with anything. Those Christmas trees are not going to hurt to get thrown into one, but, um, it was a cool visual, so I can't complain there. And then... In the main event, he did lay out Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins in their tag team match against Jericho. And speaking of that, too, that was just one of the worst pay-per-view finishes I've seen in some time. Even worse than the Randy Orton one back at SummerSlam, which was just completely anticlimactic. Because that was an eight-minute match. Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens had a fucking 25-minute match. And for what reason? It wasn't even that good. And I like Kevin Owens a lot, but he and Reigns just do not have that light on the, you know, lighting up the world chemistry. They just don't have great chemistry together. So why would you continue to, you know, put them in a feud? So that was one thing. Uh, the DQ finish of the match was just a whole other thing. That was fucking terrible. And then the next night on Raw, they announced for the Rumble, it's going to be Kevin Owens versus Roman Reigns again for the Universal Championship. But this time, Jericho's going to be in a fucking cage. And we just saw the same shit at TakeOver Toronto, literally a month ago. And I know that not everyone who watches Raw and SmackDown watch NXT... But it's almost insulting to our intelligence. And I know they want to sell the fucking like cage set they have for the for the kids and the toy set, whatever, which also looks dumb. But anyway, um, I just, I don't know. I just am not a fan of that whatsoever. I thought from what we saw on Sunday night at the end of the show, which was not enough to save the ending to that just mediocre pay-per-view, with the former S.H.I.E.L.D. guys Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns teaming up to take out Jericho. And why are, J- why are Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins buddies again? Did we ever get a proper explanation as to why are they are on the same page again? I just still don't understand that. But anyway, coming out of that show, it looked like we would get a fatal four-way between Reigns, Rollins, Jericho, and, and KO at the Rumble. But apparently not. They've already announced the match, which I think is great. But this match that we're about to get uh, at the Rumble feels like something that we would see on the first Raw of the year, or next week, or whatever, you know? Because traditionally, they have done WWE title matches in the first Raw of the year before, dating back to 2011, 2012, 2013, 2016. They might have done one in 2014. I don't think they did. I don't think they did. Um, They did one back in 1999 when Mick Foley won the WWE Championships. They've done it a bunch of times. And that show, they really want to ring in the year, the ring in the new year the right way, all that other kind of shit. So I'm surprised they're not doing that, and they still might. They could always do Owens and Rollins again for the championship on the first Raw of the year, but that we've already seen that a million fucking times, so why bother? I just think a four-way would have been the way to go with these four guys. We have the same four faces mixing it in and out. Jericho, KO, Reigns, and Rollins at the top of the card. Would it kill them to get some fresh blood in there? You look at what SmackDown's doing right now. With Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler means nothing, obviously. The guy's a fucking loser at this point, but he's still getting a match against AJ Styles. How much sense that makes in storyline, who knows? He lost a million matches against The Miz, and then he comes back and wins the number one contenders match. That in and of itself is stupid, but at least you know the match is something that we have not seen before. AJ and Ziggler had, what, one match back in late August, the day after SummerSlam, two days after SummerSlam? AJ beat him, went on to become WWE Champion at Backlash. That was it. They have not faced off on SmackDown since. They have they have been resistant in doing that match. I mean, we've seen AJ and Ambrose a million times, but not AJ and Ziggler a million times. But then you throw Corbin in the mix, who is also yet to get his just due as a main event guy, and I don't think it's time yet for him to win the world title. But they're mixing fle- fresh blood into the mix, along with The Miz, Bray Wyatt, uh, you know, Randy Orton, of course, who has not been in the main event scene for quite some time as well, when you really think about it. Those three guys... There's a lot of great talent on that roster. They continually mix in and out with the main event scene. I think it's a real breath of fresh air that Raw can learn from. When you see the same four guys in and every every fucking week, you wonder why the show sucks. 
You know, I thought Raw on Monday wasn't terrible. After a few couple good shows, this show just kind of died to death. It felt like it was over by 9 o'clock. I'm like, oh shit, we have another two hours of this stuff. So, I don't know. I just, we'll see where this goes. I'm just not a big fan of doing Reigns and Owens again. And it's got to be the only real bright side to all of this, and I tweeted this out on Monday, is that you got to do Owens and Jericho at WrestleMania. And I thought that'd be the direction they would go in at, at Rumble. But obviously, now that they're apparently on the same page, I don't really know anymore. But going into Roadblock, it looked like they were officially Dunsky. They'd parted ways, whatever. They had split up, but apparently not. Jericho wanted to remain his best friend, whatever, by helping him retain his championship on Sunday via disqualification. Uh, so that would have made no sense to do that match at the Rumble after Jericho and KO are back on the same page. But now that we're getting Reigns, unless they change the match, which they, which they could always do, and I hope they will, but unless unless they change it, it we're, Jericho's not getting a title shot anytime soon. Uh, and I think it'd be better if they waited until WrestleMania. That, to me, they've been building this up for so long. I think it is a proper match. I mean, if Owens and Jericho happened before then, now that I think about it, even at the fucking February pay-per-view, which would be a massive disappointment, because that, that's a show that really means nothing. Fastlane just means nothing. To throw away Owens and Jericho in that show, like they've done with, uh, remember Cody Rhodes, or Stardust, rather, versus Goldust? The match that should have been saved for WrestleMania. They blew that off in just a terrible match at the Fastlane pay-per-view in 2015. They never went back to the feud after that. That was done. So they should have really saved it for WrestleMania, as they should Jericho and Owens. So I'm hoping they will. I don't know what Jericho's schedule is. He has said himself that he wanted to leave after Extreme Rules. Stayed. Wanted to leave after Money in the Bank. Stayed. Wanted to leave after SummerSlam. Stayed. So you have no idea with Jericho. I have no idea even if he has tour dates set up for Fozzie in 2017. I have no idea, to be quite honest with you. But at this point, for all the amazing work he has done throughout 2016, his first full year in WWE, and he has been here all year. It hasn't been, you know, six months, nine months, not even like 11 months. He has been here since the first Raw of 2016. So it would be great if they had him in a prominent match at WrestleMania for the World Championship. I don't think he would win. It'd be pretty cool, I guess, if he did and then went off and rode off in the sunset, retired or whatever. I don't think he needs to retire just because he still has a lot left in the tank. And his match with Rollins on Sunday was also quite good, so you know he could still go. And they've had history dating back to... Not even when Jericho, not even when Jericho first formed back in August, um, but even dating back before that, when they were doing segments together backstage and in the ring, leading up to Money in the Bank back in June. So they've had a lot of history together dating back to June. I would, you know, I would do that match at WrestleMania. To be quite honest with you, uh, whether it feels like a world title match or not, it doesn't really matter. That's the feud that people are most interested in seeing right now. Unless Finn Balor comes back, time for the Rumble to win it and uh, go on to WrestleMania to contend for the Universal Championship then who else can possibly win the Rumble from the Raw side? Reigns is contending for the championship that night. So to have him lose and win the Rumble would be the absolute dumbest fucking thing they can possibly do. So here's hoping that doesn't happen. Rollins looks like he will be facing Triple H at that show at WrestleMania. So that's great. Um, but it's it's a match that does not need the World Championship, as we learned from Roman Reigns and Triple H this past year. A mediocre main event. Um... And that's about, I mean, Cena and Taker, but they're from SmackDown. So really from Raw, there's no one else. Brock Lesnar and Goldberg should not be winning the Rumble. They should not be winning the Rumble by any stretch. That would just make no sense. Uh, their match, if they're going to have a match, and they probably should at this point, should not be for a championship. So it should be Jericho and Owens at WrestleMania in my book. But that's about it from Raw. Um, there really is not much else to talk about. I thought the show itself was just really not that good. I'm going to look up and down the results real quick before we get into SmackDown. Nia Jackson, Sasha, whatever. Charlotte winning back the belt on Sunday, I thought was just completely asinine. It looks, I mean, I guess they could still do Sasha and Bailey, but it's, if it's not for the championship, then what's the point? Then what do you do with Charlotte? They can't honestly be banking on Charlotte and Ronda Rousey. How do they know she's going to be in there? She's fighting in the UFC in like two or three weeks. And Dana White has said in the past, he, he does not want her fighting or wrestling, whatever, in WWE. At least while she's under contract. I mean, maybe he changed his mind. Who knows? I mean, people change their mind all the time, but... Especially Vince McMahon, if, you know, he's any example, any you know, any indication. But um, I just do not see how you get to Bailey and Sasha now. And I wrote a whole article this past week for Hidden Remote why Sasha Banks will fulfill her full potential in WWE as a heel, as a babyface. She's popular, she's over, people love her, but she's just not. She's not as good. She is way better as a heel than she is as a babyface. So I'm hoping they turn her 
and next couple months after this whole Nia Jax thing blows over, Emelina debuts. We get that over with. And then we can move into a Bailey-Sasha feud with Sasha as the heel. And then you can do that feud and move Sasha over to SmackDown, which I think is where she should have belonged from the get-go. I know they want to... It looked like they wanted to build a division around her, but then again, no, just because Charlotte has been champion all year round, so she's really the one they want to push, not Sasha. And Bailey can be the biggest star they've had ever, really, if they push her the right way. And the way that she's been booked since coming up as the ultimate underdog and... Which, or rather, not the ultimate underdog and beating Charlotte three times is kind of ridiculous. But uh, we'll see where they go with that. I'm just not a big fan of Charlotte being champion again. Literally a five time champion in the past year and a half she's been in the main roster, which is completely ridiculous. And that title means nothing. I don't care what anyone says. I know they defended it in an Iron Woman match and all this other shit, but there was not one successful title defense from either woman in a one on one match. Excluding Clash of Champions, where Bailey was involved in the triple threat, there was not one single successful title defense from either woman against one another throughout their entire feud from WrestleMania to Roadblock. That to me was just I I don't get it either. But I just don't get it. But anyway, moving on to SmackDown. Before we wrap it up here, I thought SmackDown this week was great. I really really enjoyed SmackDown on Tuesday. I thought the IC Championship match between Miz and Apollo Cruz that was awesome. No pun intended. Um, they had a match, a tribute to the troops, where Miz got beat by Apollo. And I'm thinking, okay, this will be just to send the crowd home happy and whatever else, and they won't do a rematch on SmackDown. But they did. They paid attention. They did a rematch, and Miz won via nefarious means. I thought that was great. Then afterward, which was even better, he got interviewed by Renee Young, who asked him, what is your obsession with Dean Ambrose? And he said, I could ask you the same thing, considering that you're in a relationship with him and you're currently sleeping with him. And they got a great reaction from the crowd. And I thought it was a great fucking line. Miz is awesome. Miz is killing it right now. And I'm looking forward to seeing how Renee factors into all of this with Dean Ambrose, The Miz, Maurice. It's going to be interesting. So I was already looking forward to an Ambrose-Miz match for the IC Championship at the Rumble. But uh, it looks like we might be, you know, it might be heating up with the inclusion of Renee Young. So we'll see how she kind of factors in. It could all go south. Who knows? It could be a fucking train wreck in the worst way possible. But it could also be very good. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but also in the show, James Ellsworth finally got his WWE title match and was beaten in the matter of a minute at the hands of AJ Styles, who uh, then met his number one contender in the main event, Dolph Ziggler versus Baron Corbin. The winner would meet AJ Styles on next week's wildcard final show, which, why it's called that, I have no idea, for the WWE Championship, and uh, went to a no contest. I think it was a double a double countout. And then Daniel Bryan deemed afterwards, after AJ attacked both men with a chair, that he would face both men in the main event of next week's SmackDown for the WWE Championship in a triple threat match, which should be fucking great. So that chalks it up to four different things to look forward to on SmackDown this Tuesday. From that triple threat match between AJ Styles, Baron Corbin, and Dolph Ziggler for the WWE Championship, you have a women's championship match between Becky Lynch and the current champion Alexa Bliss, a rematch from TLC. A four corners, I think, elimination. I'm not 100% positive, but I think it is an elimination match. I might be wrong. A fatal four-way tag team title match, nevertheless, between the defending champions, the Wyatt family, American Alpha, the Usos, and Heath Slater and Rhino. And then you have the return of John Cena is back on the blue brand for the first time in almost three months. So it's, again, I'm looking forward to it. I think it can be a very, very, very good show. And SmackDown is really closing out the year with a bang. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do on Tuesday. But I thought, yeah, this Tuesday show is also really, really good. And then to close it out here, I think we have a few minutes left. We're pretty much done at this point. I got a couple minutes left. But uh, yeah, NXT on Wednesday. I mean, the overall episode wasn't must-see itself. I I thought Billy Kay versus Daria Baronado was whatever. The authors of Pain literally almost killed their opponents on the uh, double powerbomb spot which just looked brutal. They had to end the match before they could do their finisher just because that guy looked like he was fucking dead. He was concussed, so I hope he's okay, but that looked brutal. But the main event, though, is worth going out of your way to see. It was a great Fatal 4-Way, a phenomenal Fatal 4-Way, to crown a new number one contender to the NXT Championship at NXT TakeOver San Antonio over uh, Royal Rumble weekend. It was Bobby Roode, Ty Dillinger, Roderick Strong, and Andre Cien Almas. A really, really good match. I thought all four guys shined here, especially Roderick Strong. We have really yet to see on TV anyway what this guy is capable of. 
um, like in the ring. He doesn't really have much of a character, which has kind of always been the case dating back to his Ring of Honor days. But um, in NXT, has really just needed to showcase his skills, and I thought he did so in this match very, very well. I mean, RJ and I, we saw a great match between him and Cedric Alexander back in NXT Boston a few days before TakeOver Toronto. And that match was fucking blow away. Just an absolutely amazing match. And I wish we would see that Roderick Strong on TV more often. And we did on Tuesday, or we did on Wednesday, rather. I thought he had a great showing here before getting eliminated by uh, Ty Dillinger. He, Strong, eliminated Andrade before he got beat out by Ty Dillinger. And then the final few minutes, down the stretch, it was awesome. Between Bobby Roode and Ty Dillinger, definitely one of the better all-around NXT main events on TV in quite some time. But in the end, it was Bobby Roode punching his ticket to take over San Antonio for the NXT Championship, beating Ty Dillinger to earn his shot at the NXT title at TakeOver against Shinsuke Nagamura. So that should be a great match. Uh, just a good show. So check out that four-way from NXT on Wednesday. 205 Live was good, too. Mentioned it before, but a good match with Neville and Kendrick beating uh, Swan and Perkins in the main event. Just a good show all around. And I think that does it. That closed out pretty much everything that has happened in the world of wrestling this past week. I did hear a lot of rumors, I think, uh, before the show we did last week, but whatever, I forgot to mention it. Eli Drake might be WWE bound at some point. Not bound, but um, I did hear that officials are interested in bringing him back in, which is great. I'm a big Eli Drake fan. Dummy, yeah. Dummy, yeah. Dummy, yeah. The guy's great. So I would love to see him back in WWE. Only under those circumstances, I mean... He wouldn't have to do the dummy gimmick in WWE, but it would be pretty cool if he did. Uh, I think it's pretty damn entertaining. But, um, yeah, so we heard that. There was another big story that came out in the last couple days. The UK show we talked about here in the last, on, on you know, last week's show with John, John Ritland. Uh, great episode two, talking to him with, uh, with Roadblock Prediction. So check that episode out from last week just for some awesome conversation. But I'm, I thought I'm missing, I think I'm missing something here in terms of what, something that was, like, announced this past week. I'm not really sure. I, I don't fucking know. I'm not really sure. I thought I had something to do with um a big signing or whatever. I'm not really even sure. But I did see Tag Team Apocalypto from TNA. I know I don't talk about TNA too much on the show, but that was something else. <laughs> something else to say the least. So check that out when you get the chance as well. No TNA review this week. Uh, they are doing a best of show tonight as of Thursday, uh, January, or, sorry, January, December 22nd. So no TNA review this week. There will be no Ring of Honor review next week. Total Divas is not airing next week, I don't think. So we got some time in between shows. So it's a bit of a break for the holidays, which is great. A much-deserved, well-needed break from wrestling and all this other stuff airing right now. But I do look forward to the new year and what it's going to bring. But, of course, let's hold our horses here. Before we get to 2017, we do have one show left here on WrestleRant Radio. It is going to be the uh, WrestleRant Radio Year in Review Awards. Only here on WrestleRant Radio, as you guys voted in the 2016 WWE Year in Review Awards uh, on NextDayWrestling.net. You can vote now. You got one week's time. You got one week left to vote on the Match of the Year, Wrestler of the Year, Women's Wrestler of the Year, Tag Team of the Year, Feud of the Year, WWE Network Special of the Year, Most Disappointing Departure of the Year, and so on and so forth. Do so now while you still got the chance before the polls close in one week's time on December 30th. Um, but in the meantime, though, and in between time, folks, I think that's about it. Just be sure to check out full episodes of WrestleRant Radio right here every single Friday for now. Uh, next week is the final Friday episode before we move back to Thursdays at the onset of 2017. So I think it's January 5th that our first episode is in the new year. So look forward to that. And um, I think that's about it. Just, uh, yeah, just keep rocking, guys. Have a very Merry Christmas. And a lot of big things popping, little things stopping, some great announcements coming in the next couple of weeks, days even. So just stay tuned to the Twitter machine, social media in general. You can follow me at WrestleRant on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews. Hit me up on YouTube as well at youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews for new content daily. You guys are the greatest. I actually bought Budio cereal a couple days ago. I have a full review of the cereal as I'm eating it in my latest random video blog. You can check it out right now on my YouTube channel. So a lot of great stuff happening. Got to maintain that uh, maintain that PMA, that power of positivity, holding it down, as the New Day would say. So anyway, guys, have a great rest of your weekend. Have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, and I'll catch you guys down the reindeer road. 